This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hey, it's Danielle and Jackie, and today we'd like to share something new, an episode of Healthy Communities News presented by CVS Health. State by state, city by city, and street by street, dedicated people are striving to solve the nation's most persistent health challenges. Healthy Communities News host Melissa Egan interviews these leaders all over the country. Every month, she finds a local story that's representative of broader trends in American health. Whether she's in Texas or Massachusetts, Georgia or Pennsylvania, Melissa always keeps her ears and eyes open for real-world solutions that transform people's health and the communities where we live. In this episode, Melissa tells how a chance encounter between a pastor and a business executive led to an inspiring new partnership in Pittsburgh's Hill District. Healthy Communities News from CVS Health is available wherever you find new podcasts. Welcome back to Healthy Communities News. I'm Melissa Egan. A whole lot of change is about to take place in the Hill District community of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, starting July 28th. That's when an amazing new Workforce Innovation and Talent Center, otherwise known as WITSI, opens there. It was built thanks to an unusual partnership between Ebenezer Baptist Church and CVS Health. So what does it take to bring change like this to a community? Sometimes, perhaps the most important thing is just believing it can happen. Or it can be as simple as who you happen to sit next to. Let's hear from the two key people involved. I spoke first with John White, a senior advisor for workforce initiatives at CVS Health, to get his take on how it all came about. A little bit of luck and a lot of us pleading, and we looked at the needs of the community and roadblocks and barriers that these individuals in that community kind of have to deal with every day. And we looked at what the church was already doing and what CVS was already doing and how do we bring the two together and how do we use the the trust and the influence that the church had to be able to supply resources from CVS Health. And we asked in the beginning and a lot of times we got no's. It kept snowballing and just through conversations and showing people this is what we're doing and this is how we're going to do it, those no's started slowly turning to yeses. I understand that you were one of the partners in crime along with Pastor Campbell, responsible for making the Pittsburgh Workforce Innovation and Talent Center come about. How does it compare with what you first envisioned? It's what our vision was in the beginning on steroids. It turned into more than either one of us could have ever hoped it would. Do you even remember when this whole project was initially announced or envisioned or discussed? It's funny because Pastor and I talk about this all the time. I just took over the market, was really in digging into Pittsburgh. And in the back of my head, I kept thinking, you know, I want to do one of these workforce innovation and talent centers. I was part of the the one we built in Cleveland. Don't really want to go too, too big, but I'm just looking. I was at a meeting at the Pittsburgh Housing Authority and there's this little guy sitting next to me. <laughs> we, we started chatting and he was telling me the stuff that he was doing at the church. And I was telling him about what I do. One of the things I had said at the presentation was I'm looking for a space. I'm looking for the right partner 
and I'm looking for a space. And after the meeting, he said, I have space at my church. If you want, you can follow me over. So we both hopped in our cars. I followed Pastor Campbell over to the church. And that was about almost two years ago now. During COVID, a lot of other projects weren't happening. So our budget kind of started increasing a little bit with what we could do. And we just kept dreaming. Hey, you're doing the food pantry. Hey, let's create a workforce program there. So let's, let's do a waiters, waitresses, host, hostesses, and a culinary program all attached to it. The other piece to it was we were looking at how do we bring dignity back to coming in and getting help. We kind of changed the, the atmosphere. So individuals that come in to get their hot meals used to come in and get into like a soup kitchen line. Now when they come in, they'll be seated. They'll have a menu. They can pick off the menu. They can either get the food to go or they can sit there and eat it. They'll be served with these individuals learning how to be waiters and waitresses. You're not just standing in a line. You're not getting a handout. You're, you're being treated just like you would if you went to any restaurant in the city. And this is a way to kind of bring that dignity back and not be ashamed or afraid to, to come in and ask for help. And we created a nonprofit, Ebenezer Outreach Ministries. And when Pastor and I were working on the logo, we have it as two hands together. The one on top is lifting the other one up. So it's a hand up, not a hand down. We're going to push you and we're going to try to get you to that next level. So you were building on things that already existed, but in ways that had never been thought of before. Yeah, definitely. They were doing all this stuff and they were scrounging and and fighting for you know any resource they could grab. The church, through a partnership with the Black Nurses Association, were going out into the community and they were doing blood pressure screenings and I was there watching them and they're throwing all their stuff in cars because in Pittsburgh, two things people say, you don't, don't go across the bridge and you don't go through tunnels. So if it isn't in your area, you pretty much figure a way to deal with out having that service. So we partnered with Aetna's Medicaid team and they gave a donation to the church to buy a cargo van. But we also then built a clinic inside of the church. So now individuals can come into the clinic and get healthcare, free healthcare. Everything we're trying to do is just wrap around the community so that they're supported. These wraparound services focus on three years, 36 months. We know it didn't take them six months or a year to get into poverty. It's not going to take six months or a year to get them out of poverty. We have to be there for them. It's, it's bittersweet with everything that we're doing because, you know, it's, it's needed and, and it's sad that it's needed, but we have the resources and we have the partnerships that can, that can do this. Because quick fixes don't solve anything. No, never. What is Pastor Campbell like to work with? This is my first foray in, into working with the church, and, and it's very different from working in corporate America, but pastor's amazing. My wife always says, Pastor Campbell's such a good influence on you. <laughs> Tell us about the challenges that Pittsburgh and this area in Pittsburgh faces. The average income in, in the Hill District is anywhere between $14,000 a year and $17,000 a year. So that, that right there is automatically a major barrier to anything. Over 50% of the population in the Hill District don't own vehicles, so they don't drive. There's not a lot of childcare there. We're, we're in the Hill District, which is you know right outside of downtown Pittsburgh. 
but in Monroeville, it's about a 20 minute drive from the, the training center to Monroeville where our call center is. We have a very large Caremark facility there. But if you're taking a bus, it's it could be up to two hours. That's why part of, you know, we bought this van and that's gonna be a regular thing as, as we're doing call center training for those individuals that get jobs at out in Monroeville, um, they'll be able to be taken to and from work. Part of what we're doing is adding a childcare to the, the training center and to the church. We're trying to create a one-stop shop for everything. Come to the church, drop your child off for childcare, get in the van, go to work, get brought back to your child. So you're creating a network. Yes. Why has building non-traditional talent pipelines been so important? As a company, you have to represent the communities that you serve. And going outside of those traditional pipelines, you know, working with an individual with different abilities, working with a veteran, a mature worker, youth, you know, and, and really digging into the different populations that we do, you're, you're mining talent that sometimes gets overlooked. You know, we've just started really focusing on the second chance community for individuals that are reentering the population that were previously incarcerated. These are individuals that a lot of times get stigmatized as, you know, well, they're bad. Everyone in life makes a mistake. If we don't focus on these non-traditional pipelines, that's all they see is someone just coming to them saying, this is what we can't do. With these talent centers, it's a focus on what you can do and what we can do to, to support you. How many other WITSEs has CVS been involved with so far? Cleveland, Boston, um, New York City, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Baltimore, Washington, Washington, D.C. So yeah, six. Oh, and then we also have a Talent Connect Center on Fort Bragg for transitioning service members. Pittsburgh is the first one in a church. Pittsburgh is very, very unique from, from what we've done in the past. I wonder what would have happened if you hadn't been sitting next to Pastor. <laughs> He keeps saying somehow, some way, we would have still ran into each other and things still would have happened. I'm not as confident that that's the case, but one of our um, directors on the team, when I was telling her the story, she said, you know, the fact that one, he listened to you and offered for you to come back to that church was, was a big deal. But two, the fact that you didn't know this guy, <laughs> and you got in your car and you followed him into the Hill District to his church, says a lot about the, the fact that this, this should have happened and this, this was meant to happen, so. How did you wind up at CVS, John? I was in the military, I left the military, did some oddball jobs in Ohio. I was actually unemployed, ended up delivering furniture for minimum wage because I my benefits ran out. My wife said, you got to find something, you know, you, you can't hold out. And I just happened to bump into a district manager for CBS. Before I left for the military, I used to work for a company called Revco, which CBS bought. He was our district manager at the time. He remembered me and we just talked. And he goes, well, we don't have any district manager jobs, but I do have an assistant manager, store manager job, if you're interested. So I applied, and that's how I got on with CVS. And then an opportunity came up in workforce initiatives. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm interested in anything, you know. The only problem with that job was it was in Twinsburg, Ohio, and I lived in Erie, Pennsylvania. So my daily commute was two and a half hours to work 
and two and a half hours home. That was my normal commute for three years, but I got into this department and I loved what we did. Why? So the commute didn't seem bad. You could see what we were doing was changing lives. We're out there in the community and it it was really rewarding because when someone thanks you for helping them get a job, it uplifts you. And to me, those are things that we should be doing. My worst day in workforce initiatives would be my best day doing anything else. What's neat is that you, having had trouble getting a job, you can feel what other people go through now in a different way. Yeah, definitely. What are you most excited about with Witsy? I'm most excited for the day we open, just seeing the smiles on people's faces and, and the fact that we've got room to grow. We've got other programs we can add. That, that's what I'm most excited for. So you haven't even opened yet and you're already thinking beyond what is available now. Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. We Pastor will not let us sit on our laurels. No way, shape, or form. <laughs> now, what does success look like for you? One person at a time. And if we can help them get that job and help them get a life-sustaining wage um, and help them gain a skill to where they can actually build upon, to us, that's a success. Now... Let's hear from Pastor Vincent Campbell for his side of the story. I asked what it was like for him to be able to walk through a place that had taken so many meetings and so much work to bring about. You know, for the first couple of months after construction was completed, I needed to pinch myself. It is such an incredible transformation of the space. I didn't know where I was at. (laughs) Does it look like what you had imagined? beyond anything I could have imagined. I looked at architectural renderings for months. Some in in 3D, people are awestruck. What did it look like before? There were solid walls, and now all of those walls are glass walls. And, you know, there was a room. It had a bathroom in it, and it was like our green room. That's now a health clinic. What was the count room, a very narrow count room, is now the exam room. And outside of that exam room, what used to be the little lounge area, now has two recovery chairs where we will be able to do vaccinations and health screenings. And that's just an example though of underutilized space that now will literally be used to prevent illnesses and possibly even save someone's life. Didn't Ebenezer Baptist Church already have a lot of projects going on? And if so, why did you see this Workforce Innovation and Talent Center as being so important? We did have programs going on. Obviously, when you help one person, that's meaningful impact for that person. If there's a thousand people who need help and you help one, obviously that's impactful to that one person. But then you have to look 999 people in their face who you couldn't help. What CVS has done is said that other 999 can now come and get help. In some ways, when you look at the makeup of our congregation, it's the poor trying to help the poor. Along comes CVS and they got it. I mean, they got it right from the beginning. I didn't have to make a case. I didn't have to, for the first time, I didn't have to write a 30-page grant. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very impressed with this partnership. What did you see 
when you first came to Ebenezer Baptist Church? I officially began my pastorate there in August of 2013. And there was a lot of pain in the community. There was a lot of suspicion. There was no trust toward government, corporations. Because the history of the Hill District is that corporations just took. Thousands of residents were displaced to build a civic arena for a hockey team. And now it's a food desert. Forget about green space. That's being replaced with concrete. The property values are going to price and displace even more people out of the community as it's being gentrified. Our program will address this nonsensical idea that low-income housing should be generational. We have three generations living in the same public housing development. And that's what attracted me to CVS's workforce. They naturally take a two-gen approach. They do have programs around workforce that specifically target people with disabilities, mature workers, and unemployed or underemployed parents and young adults. That if you leave any of those connected generations in poverty, it's self-defeating, right? So three people get thrown in the water and you throw one of them a life vest and the other two still have a milestone around their neck. Because I choose to stay connected to grandma and I stay connected to my kids, I can't be upwardly mobile. It pulls you down as well. Right. My one life preserver is just enough to keep the three of our heads above water. But we we ain't getting out of here. The trauma of a senior who has watched two generations after theirs suffer the same you know, poverty, and there's a different life preserver for, you know, now this adult who is a product of a broken public education system, and now their child who's sitting in that same dysfunctional school. COVID, our numbers skyrocketed. We were feeding mostly seniors, eight senior high-rise facilities within two miles of our church. We were doing, at the height of COVID, 1,500 meals a week. And that doesn't include the other feeding programs that our program supplied. Food boxes, fresh produce. Oh, my. So it really worsened. Absolutely. We're talking about the working poor, too. What do they do for a living? A lot of service industry jobs meaning that they're working 60 hours a week to try to come close to a living wage. I would imagine a lot of people coming to see your church's neighborhood and turning away because of how dire the situation was. And you didn't. So I grew up the product of a dysfunctional public school system that was trying to figure out integration in Florida in the early 70s. My family was a part of that working poor. And I was given a life preserver and given an opportunity to go to college. How? Through a program at uh, Florida State University that they needed to diversify the school. And so they had a lot of programs to help minorities who didn't have the test scores or the grades or 
the wherewithal to even know how to apply to college. And so they had summer programs where they would bring you to the college. And if you became a marginal student, you could pass with the C, then you got a provisional acceptance into the university. So my path changed. It's like, hey, I'm out of here. My family relocated to Minnesota. I'm living out in the suburbs, working for a law firm, making good money. And I'm seeing more poor people. I thought we grew up around a lot of poor people, but, you know, it was a few hundred families tops, right? Now I'm in the city and it's like thousands of people. It's like, my God, it's like poor people everywhere. And most of them look like me. And at the same time, I was feeling this, what I know now was a call to ministry. I certainly did not want to start fooling around with God. That wasn't my plan. <laughs> and um, so I became an AmeriCorps VISTA. I left my, my job, and um, as an AmeriCorps VISTA, I partnered with the Eastside Neighborhood Development Corporation, which was the community CDC on the east side of St. Paul. They wanted to make sure they didn't displace all of these ethnic communities, poor Hmongs, there were poor African-Americans, you know, Ethiopians, and a lot of Mexican-Americans. And so the idea was, how do we get these individuals to be a part of this redevelopment? And that's what I did. And it was during that time that I realized that um, this passion and this pull I have towards trying to help people was bigger than just me getting some AmeriCorps VISTA money to go back to school. It was my life's calling. I did end up going back to school, but it was to study ministry. <laughs> Never imagined that. I was, you know, I didn't mind helping people. I just wanted to help them and get rich. Well, doesn't really work that way with God. <laughs> Were your friends surprised? Yeah, they're all lawyers like Ben Crump and Sean Pittman and Scott Wiegand. They're all big name lawyers now. We were all at Florida State together in student government. But come on, I'm surprised that I'm a pastor. I mean... <laughs> wake up every day and it's like, okay, God, how long is this joke going to run, right? Like, this is the longest running joke. And all of that in St. Paul was training for now. Absolutely. And it wasn't so much the practical training or some professional training. It was changing who I was. It was helping me make the decision to be the guy that was not going to become disconnected when I got my life preserver. I'm grateful I had to go through kind of my own wilderness to find that person who cared. Like I, Sometimes it's hard to say that, wow, I had become that person who didn't care. A part of that is how you deal with the trauma of growing up in poverty is to bury it, you know, bury it with your success. Survival techniques. Yeah, you know, you just suppress it. I remember my grandmother having to argue with a black assistant principal in high school because I was great at math and they wouldn't let me take algebra. <laughs> no way. Because algebra was considered a college prep course. And I was on the track for one of the vocations. That's what shapes a lot of my passion. You know, this didn't come from reading a book. This came from, you know, my life path. I've been a part of people who woke up every day and wanted a better life. And everyone who had a better life said, you wake up every day and you want to be poor. 
I see myself in those kids. The kids come up there with their grandmother and are standing in line to get some food. That child would rather just starve all night than have to stand there in that line. And opportunities are theirs as well. And the doors that they didn't even know existed can open for them. I want to admit, Pastor, that you've been one of, if not the most difficult person to get a hold of to interview. And I can see why, because you're doing all of these incredible things. I want to ask you, what did you think of John White when you first met him? Just a normal guy. I mean, he didn't seem like he worked for one of the largest corporations in the world. But very quickly, it became evident that he knew a lot about workforce, community partnerships, right? It made me wonder what might not have happened if you hadn't been sitting next to him. John and I both have come to understand that this is bigger than us, that this would have happened with or without us. I often see packages on my doorstep, and I don't always know who delivered them. I read this story once. A prophet didn't want to deliver a message, and so God decided to get the donkey to speak, wow, to deliver the message. So I figure if God can use a donkey, (laughs) I guess I can be used too, right? So the next time you sit next to someone you don't know, maybe you'd better speak to them. You never know what wonderful changes might happen as a result. On our next episode, we'll hear from others who will be moving this Pittsburgh Witsy forward. In the meantime, do be in touch. You can follow me on Twitter at Melissa underscore hosts. That's at M-E-L-I-S-S-A underscore H-O-S-T-S. This is Melissa Egan, and be well till the next time.